If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 85 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we want to return to the concept and the topic of the learning business. And this is something that we've discussed in a number of other episodes. But this time around, we want to specifically examine why the learning business is such an important concept. Before we get to that concept, though, we want to take a moment to thank Castle, the podcast sponsor for the second quarter of 2017. Castle is an accomplished full services certification and licensure testing company that also offers its clients a variety of learning solutions capabilities. With an expert team of testing and instructional design professionals and a 30-year history of excellence in its field, Castle understands what it takes to develop and deliver quality learning and certification programs. To find out more about Castle's custom learning solutions, go to leadinglearning.com/castle. For the resource for this episode, we'd like to highlight a new post on the Tagoras site that brings together the various episodes we've done on this podcast, along with various notes and other resources, to create a sort of informal curriculum on the topic of the learning business. So if that is a topic that you want to explore further, and you could potentially do that in collaboration with others on your team, simply direct your browser to tagoras.com slash learning hyphen business. So now let's dig in some more on that topic of the learning business. And as we suggested at the beginning, we want to talk more about why we feel this concept is so important. But in the spirit of effective learning, we'll first repeat what we mean when we say learning business. We won't rehash our full definition here, but we will highlight the two fundamental criteria an organization has to meet to be considered a learning business in our book. So the first is that a fundamental reason for its existence has to be to generate revenue through selling, learning, and education experiences to a target audience. In most cases, this means net positive revenue or profit. The second criterion is that it has to self-identify as a business, meaning the majority of the people working in the business recognize that revenue generation is a fundamental reason for the business's existence. And as we've suggested before, you know, to better understand what is uh, a learning business, it can be helpful to say what we feel is not a learning business. So most corporate training does not fall in the learning business category. Uh, you know, while corporate training can and, and should, of course, contribute to business success, it is typically a cost center in, in most corporations, and its audience is primarily internal to the company. We also don't think of traditional academic institutions, for the most part, as being learning businesses. Even to the extent that these organizations do generate positive net income, they usually don't self-identify with revenue generation being a fundamental reason for their existence. Continuing education and extension programs tend to be one of the major exceptions uh, in the academic world that you were just talking about there, Jeff, because they tend to identify more as a business and they may even be run like a, a private training uh, or education company. And we certainly consider private training and education companies as learning businesses. And of course, we feel that most trade and professional associations are learning businesses or at the very least run learning businesses within their oval 
overall business. And we feel that is true whether the organization is selling education and training directly or whether it provides access to learning opportunities, whether those are formal or informal, as part of the benefit of membership. Because in either case, learning is driving revenue and therefore should be treated as a business. So that's a a quick review of what a learning business is. We're hoping that many listeners have heard us cover that a couple of times at this point and that it's beginning to stick. So let's turn now to an aspect of the learning business that we've not really discussed at any length yet, and that is the why of the learning business. It's always important to understand why with anything that's going to be a, a, a big central concept. So in other words, you know, why is it that the concept of the learning business and the type of organizations that it describes are so important and why are they so important now? And so, you know, one key reason that uh, we've certainly discussed before is that the the need and demand for lifelong learning has shifted dramatically. And, you know, there are a few factors behind that. One certainly is that the nature of employment has changed a great deal. So, you know, people are switching jobs and, and even entire careers much, much more often than they did in the past. I mean, most people are going to switch jobs more than a dozen times throughout their careers at this point. So, you know, they're having to, to retool to learn new skills, additional skills, uh, possibly completely different skills from what they may have had when they started out in their first job or second job or third job at, at this point. And then, of course, you know, many people are making the jump to being freelancers uh, as well. In fact, we're getting close to 50% of the economy actually being defined in that way. And again, you know, these are often roles where you're really having to kind of figure things out on a day-to-day basis and you don't have a a training department uh, supporting you. Um, you So it's not just lifelong learning, it's self-directed lifelong learning that uh, is often demanded now. So, you know, that whole nature of, of employment, and we're just scratching the surface there, but really, you know, what it means to be employed now um, and and how that plays into learning has changed dramatically. And to go along with that changing nature of employment, the nature of work is is changing very rapidly. So um, the speed at which new ideas and innovations um, not only arise, but then spread means that it takes much more effort than ever before to really keep up with those new ideas and those new innovations. And employers are are recognizing this and they're increasingly looking for people who show signs of being capable lifelong learners. So those employers who are trying to figure out who do we add to our team, whether or not those uh, people are Uh, proven lifelong learners or can demonstrate the capacity to be lifelong learners, that's a key deciding factor now. Right. Some of the, you know, leading edge companies right now, the Googles and the Microsofts, uh, they're explicitly making that part of their their hiring process. And we talked about this uh, a little while back when we highlighted the Economist series on on lifelong learning and the, the Economist view that lifelong learning is becoming an economic imperative. One of the things they talked about in there was, uh, how hiring practices are changing, um, and how, you know, it's not just the resumes anymore. It's that you, you show yourself to be a self-starter. You show yourself to be a a self-directed learner and that, you know, that's happening at the bigger cutting edge companies right now, but that's the kind of thing that, uh, is certainly going to trickle down year over year, uh, throughout the economy. And then, of course, you know, 
one of the reasons that the people need to learn so quickly, we were talking about the nature of work changing, the, the, the nature of employment overall changing. Um, but within that, uh, or a key driver for that, of course, is that technology is making many jobs uh, either obsolete or it's changing the set of skills and knowledge required for them. So, the, you know, the set of skills and knowledge that you started with uh, may no longer be what's needed. And in fact, uh, those original skills and knowledge may be taken over by machines, you know, either radically changing the job or making it a, a completely obsolete for a human being uh, to fill. I mean, we're really, it, it's, you know, it's just frightening to think about in a way. It's also exciting to think about, but we are really only at the very beginning of what's going to be possible with artificial intelligence. Um, and art, artificial intelligence at this point is, is a reality. It pervades our lives, you know, whether we're fully conscious of it or not. And it's certainly changing, again, the nature of work, the nature of employment. But artificial intelligence, robotics, I mean, really all of the, the various forms of automation um, that new technologies are, are bringing with them, um, all of this uh, obviously changing the, the nature of work uh, really significantly. And, you know, I mean, all of this is, is disruptive, to use that uh, popular term these days. Uh, I mean, to, to say the least, it's, it's disrupt, disruptive, and I think it's, it's coming as a real jolt to many people. One of the books I've been uh, reading recently is uh, uh, Thomas Friedman's, um, and, and Thomas Friedman was famous for the, you know, the world is flat, and he's always writing about kind of the, the, the future and, and, and what's coming um, and how the, the world is changing. And his, his latest book, you know, he's looking uh, at uh, a lot of the different forces that are impacting us. He's somebody who's definitely very tuned into the need for lifelong learning, the need for continuing education. And he, uh, in, in, uh, early in the book, he quotes uh, Eric Teller, who is the CEO of uh, the X uh, Research and, and Development Lab at Google. That's what it's called. It's just X. Uh, I guess they're trying to solve for X, basically. They're, they're supposed to come up with the great new innovations. Um, but uh, he says you know, that there, there's a, a whole group of people, and this is judging from the, the 2016 elections, who, as Teller put it, did not join the labor market at age 20 thinking they were going to have to do lifelong learning, and they're not happy about it now that they're discovering that, that they do, in fact, uh, have to do that. And I mean, really, you know, this is something of a, of a crisis in, in what we refer to as the other 50 years. Um, you know, this is the, you know, that, that period of life after school. And, and it points to, you know, why the idea of the learning business is, is so important right now. Right, so that other 50 years from when people leave um, formal education, say if they're you know, leaving college um, at, at 22, and then with the average lifespan, you know, they're going to have at least uh, 50 more years uh, in which they're going to need to continue to learn and to uh, ad adapt and adjust and, and innovate. Um, and so people need guidance to do that. And as that quotation from Friedman that you shared suggests, um, and, and certainly we've suggested it before, um, many of us really aren't prepared to be truly active and effective lifelong learners. Um, we can see the need, but we haven't necessarily been taught how to learn. We've tended to be given more set curricula and sort of, you know, told this is exactly how you need to proceed. And now we're left with this wide open um, scope of things where we have to figure out what is it that we need to know and then how do we go about uh, learning about that? How do we begin practicing that and, and putting it to work? And so we need organizations and, and individuals that can help with that process and help everyone um, understand what it means to be a lifelong learner. Definitely. And I, you know, I think um, people tend to look at, at learning 
Um, and everybody sort of assumes they're an expert in, in learning. We, of course, we know how to learn, you know, and, and human beings are, are born as, as learners, obviously. But when it comes to, you know, really effective, successful learning um, day in and day out, I mean, there, there's so much research demonstrating that, uh, you know, teachers don't necessarily understand what's most effective for learning. Learners certainly don't uh, necessarily understand what's most effective for learning. I mean, that whole learn to learn skill is so incredibly important uh, at this point. And, you know, so what we've been covering so far is really, you know, the the learning part of the equation, uh, so to speak, when we're we're talking about uh, uh, this idea of the the learning business. But obviously, you know, we've paired the learning with the term business and, and we feel that's, you know, equally important, you know, in, in some ways by, you know, by focusing on business, we're acknowledging what, at least in the U.S., is is basically a political reality at this point, and meaning that you know we're not likely to see a whole lot of uh, new government money pouring in to address the challenges of what we're calling the other fifty years, and this idea that you know people are out there, they need support with learning, they 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 need uh, leadership to to help them uh, acquire those skills, acquire the knowledge to adapt to this new environment, but you know. We've already got enough struggles with ensuring that the the pre K through twelve and the and the higher education spaces are, are, are properly funded. You know they 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 need more than they're getting right now, and that's not to say that the government shouldn't play a, a role in this other fifty years. This really you know what we refer to as a third sector of education. I mean, certainly there needs to be much more government investment uh, in that third sector than there is right now. But the reality is, you know, when we're talking about adult lifelong learning, which is really the the focus um, that we have in mind with the, the learning business, that, that really it's the private sector organizations, and those are both, you know, for-profit and non-profit. Those are going to be the ones that, that carry most of the weight. So that's part of why we emphasize business. But I think another reason is that, uh, in our opinion, I think we have a need for a business mindset and for business practices um, to be applied to the market for lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development. And by that, we mean uh, at least five things. Um, you know, organizations that serve the market need to be more strategic. That's Point one. So they really need to be thinking about what is our purpose? How are we going to go about delivering it? They need to be crystal clear on that strategy and what they're doing around lifelong learning. And we know from our research that most of them aren't being strategic. They really aren't uh, developing uh, a formal, you know, well thought through, conscious, uh, clearly articulated strategy for their learning businesses. I mean, this is something that we have data on, and we've certainly witnessed it also anecdotally and working with organization after organization over the past decade. I mean, we've been doing this a long time and we've seen a lot of organizations and how they deal with this. And, and that really leads to the, uh, the, the second um, key point uh, around you know, business. And that's that you know, organizations need to be much more operationally disciplined and attuned to best practices. You know, and one of those best practices, obviously, is uh, strategy formulation, making sure that you're developing strategy, that you are disseminating that strategy throughout the organization, that you're getting buy-in across the organization, and that you're measuring uh, what you're actually achieving based on that strategy. It also means that you, know, you need to know those current best practices and learning. I mean, we've had a huge amount of you know, research, new science come out in the last five to 10 years that really should be fundamentally changing how a lot of organizations are going about offering learning. But uh, again, you know, we know from our research and from our experience, 
it hasn't necessarily changed things to the degree that it should uh, at this point. And then, of course, you know, since we're talking about business here, we've already mentioned strategy, but uh, you know, this is a competitive marketplace now. This whole uh, global market for lifelong learning, continuing education, professional development. Uh, you know, there's some pretty sophisticated players who are coming into that market now. So, you know, knowing uh, how to market effectively, knowing the the current best practices, and you know, using email marketing, using social media marketing, using content marketing, you have to know that as part of that. You know, operational discipline and and uh, and, and use of best practices as a learning business. And then as a, a third point around being uh, business-like, uh, for us that means being more entrepreneurial and, and more innovative. And I think that um, you know associations as, as a whole uh, tend not to have adopted an entrepreneurial sort of mindset, that, uh, that willingness to experiment, to go quickly to market with an idea to see if it has legs. So the playing with things like the minimum viable product and getting something out there and testing it, um, really trying to bake innovation into um, their their DNA, into their, their, their daily life. So what does it mean to, rather than offering the same annual conference every year, what, what could you do that might innovate that offering or, you know, replace it entirely? So th- that's another piece of the business-like mindset that we see. And I think that extends, you know, really across... The, the the whole field of education and certainly the the whole field of adult education and training. I mean, trade and professional associations are a big part of this, but uh, but also just think that the the training mentality in general. You've just got certain things you do. You know, you have your learning objectives, you have your slides, you know, you deliver your presentation, you have your assessment, uh, and you know, to, to think outside of that, there there is such a, uh, a traditional structure around education and training that it can be difficult to to break out of that and, and really get to where you need to go with new learning practices, with new marketing practices, and you know, we talk about how the two of those often are intertwined. Um, so yes, definitely, you know a more entrepreneurial, more innovative mindset. And then greater accountability, you know, would be the, the fourth point here, um, you know, to, to really embrace the idea that you're offering learning because you want to create positive change. I mean, that's what learning is all about is change. And to be able to demonstrate that you have achieved that, both for the individual learner but then hopefully also for the organization that the learner is part of. And then even more broadly, if, if you're an organization that's you know, serving a field or an industry like a, a trade and professional association or, or a training firm that's you know, focused on a particular sector of, uh, of industry, you should be able to show that over time you're actually moving the dial. Um, for us, this is the whole concept of, of leading learning at, uh, at the kind of higher level that, um, you know, through the education you're offering to individuals, you're ultimately, you know, creating a, a much bigger impact across the field or industry that, that you serve. And you're accountable for that. Everybody in the organization is accountable for that. There are metrics and you track them and, and people are held to them. And that's part of that business mentality. And the fifth and, and final point we'll raise is that um, we think that uh, learning businesses need to operate in a financially sustainable way. And in most cases, that means making a, a profit. Um, the, the lifelong learning, the professional development, the continuing education is often a, the main source of non-dues revenue at um, trade and professional associations. And so really that focus on uh, the, the finances, which are the lifeblood. That's how you keep that learning business going. Um, and, and education 
is that key source of um, that non-dues revenue. And and so you need to be doing all of the things that we've talked about um, already in terms of the being strategic, being operationally disciplined and, and attuned to best practices, being more entrepreneurial and innovative, focusing on that accountability, and then having the finances then to continue to operate, to continue to, to develop and do all of the above. Yeah, and I think, you know, no matter what kind of organization you are, I mean, your real core bread and butter training and education ought to be producing a significant margin for you. That ought to be possible because you should have identified the really high value offerings that your audience wants and are willing to pay for because they perceive them as high value and they perceive you as a high value provider because you're going to need those margins to invest back into whether it's more product innovation or you know, if you are in a nonprofit organization, uh, you just referenced, you know, non-dues revenue to be able to uh, put that back into parts of the organization, which maybe aren't uh, expected to and aren't aren't as capable of generating a, a positive net margin. I mean, we've gone into so many organizations where, you know, the, the education unit is losing money or is, you know, just barely operating break even. And uh, I mean, that should almost never be th- the case. Um, again, you know, if you're offering something of value, if you've really understood your marketplace and are, and are putting real value out there, you ought to be able to generate a significant margin off of it. And I think any, you know, particularly membership organization, trade or professional association needs to be looking at education in that way. Again, this concept of non-dues revenue, I mean, education has always had probably the highest potential of anything that a trade and professional association could offer as a form of non-dues revenue. But, you know, to go back to our original point here, that comes down to thinking like a business. You know, so again, you got to be more strategic. You've got to be more operationally dis- disciplined. You got to have that entrepreneurial, innovative perspective. You got to have the accountability. And then, you know, from all of that, the financial sustainability and, and hopefully, you know, profitability uh, or, or at least, you know, net positive revenue, depending on the terminology you like to use, should be a result of that. And, you know, and of course, all of this is really, uh, it underpins our learning business maturity model, you know, being able to put in to place the, uh, the domains of knowledge um, and the mastery of those domains in a way that's going to lead you, you know, from being, you know, perhaps a, a learning business that's a little bit stuck to one that really is uh, proactive and then ultimately innovative in, in your approach to the market. And certainly by the time you're doing that, um, being fully financially sustainable. So that was a, a look at learning business, and we talked first about the, the the learning piece of it, and the changing nature of employment, the changing nature of of work, and then we also talked then just now about business and what we mean by business, and so that that focus on um, the the importance of finances because that is the the lifeblood, what keeps you going. The importance though also of best practices and and all of that. So you put these two together, the the learning plus business, and that is why we like to talk about this concept of learning business because it really is important. That's the why behind the learning business is that it's uh, directly tied into what's happening with employment and the workplace. Uh, It's tied into the best practices and what we know about effective learning, uh, what we know about effective marketing, and all of this together is just so critical in the world today. I mean, yeah, we're just in a time when, as we've highlighted, I mean, the the challenges related to uh, lifelong learning, continuing education, professional development are, are significant. 
Um, but that means that there are, you know, are also tremendous opportunities. I mean, people who are able to embrace lifelong learning uh, to you know, carry their careers forward are going to thrive. The organizations that are able to support them have a huge opportunity. And, and a lot of them, you know, I mean, I would argue have a responsibility. If you, if you are, you know, a public serving organization like a trade or professional association, um, you know, this is, this is the time to, to step up and lead and, and take advantage of that opportunity. And by the way, as, as part of doing that, you, you potentially Essentially, have uh, the key to relevance and to the generation of uh, the revenue that you need to be sustainable over time. I mean, that's you know that's how important educational programming is uh, for those sorts of organizations. So that's that's our, our take on the why of the learning business. And uh, as we are exiting, we want to say thanks again to Castle. A full service certification and licensure company that also offers its clients a variety of learning solutions capabilities. You can find out more about Castle's custom learning solutions by going to leadinglearning.com slash castle. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 85. And while you're there, you will see a link to the informal learning business curriculum that Jeff mentioned earlier. And you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. And we're always truly grateful to anybody who takes just the minute that's required to go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes and leave a brief review and a rating. We really appreciate it. It helps us know that you do, in fact, value what we're doing, that you know you like to hear about things like the, the learning business and uh, get knowledge and insights that help you to grow your own learning business. And it also makes it a lot easier for people who are searching for content like this to actually find us in the mighty iTunes search engine. So please get over to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes and leave a brief review and rating. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick whatever social network uh, of your choice and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.